we'll just go ahead. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, we thank you for the people. Lord, I thank you for this class. Lord, we just look forward to our time as we're trekking through Genesis. And Lord, uh, we just ask that you would bless our time, use us to build us up and edify us, Lord. Teach us something from your word that we don't know, that we might uh, grow more into your likeness. Lord, we look forward to all that you're doing, and we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're moving through Genesis. We just got done with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in verse 29 of chapter 19, there's a little postscript, uh, 20, 29, in verse 29 it says, Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham, and he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, and when he, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Basically all God's saying there is, look, I did it, I threw the, I threw the cities over, and now, and I got Lot out, which is important. Because in verses 30 through the end of the chapter, this is the last time we're going to see Lot in the book of Genesis. This is the last time he's going to pop up. And, it's, and all we have here is Lot in verses uh, 30 through the end of the chapter. Lot is, he goes, he says, I'm not going to live in this city. I'm going to go up and live in the caves. And when he gets up into the caves, his daughters, these wonderful daughters that he had brought, with, brought, him, brought out of Sodom and Gomorrah with him, decide to have sex with their dad because they think their husbands are dead and they're never going to have women, or never have children. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. <laughs> They'll never have children. And so uh, when you get to verse 37, it says, The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. And Moab is just of his father. And the second one, uh, verse 38, also bore a son and called his name Ben-Amin. And Ben-Amin is son of my people. He is the father of the Am of sons of Ammon to this day. Now, does anybody remember who, in an important book, is another Moabite that's very important in the history of redemption? Ruth. Ruth. So it, what, I'm, what I'm finding, again, is, is I'm slowing down and taking my time reading the book. I'm noticing that the people and the places and the things that are mentioned, they're important. You know, they say, you know, God wrote the Bible, therefore every word is important. And I've heard that before. And, you, you know, they teach you that in school and everything, but you don't really pay attention to it. But I'm finding that it's actually true. Every word in there is true. So when, you, when I run across a town or something like that, I try to file it away because usually that town is going to come back up again. And um, what you find is, again, you've got this constantly going forward, circling back, going forward, circling back. And so you've got, Mo you've got Moab mentioned. You hear who the father is. And if you know the story of the Bible, Moab comes up again. So now in verse 20. Or, or chapter 20, excuse me. Uh, now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev, which is just the south land, and settled between uh, Kadesh and Shur. And when he sojourned in Gur, and Abraham said to his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Now remember, he had done that back in chapter 12. He had said that uh, Sarah, Sarah was his sister. So Abimelech, the king of Gur, sent and took Sarah. But God, verse 3, but God, remember, that's important in the book of Genesis. God came to, Ab to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is married. Now, I don't know about you. I've had some nightmares before, but I can't imagine a worse nightmare than, than just dreaming and God comes to you, which would be scary enough, and God says you're going to die if you take this woman. That is a nightmare. And now Abimelech had not come near to her, and he said, Lord, will you slay this nation? Will you slay a nation even though blameless? 
Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? He's saying, didn't Abraham tell me that this woman was his sister, not his wife? In the integrity of my heart, verse, uh, verse 5, in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And what has he done? He had not touched this woman. Then God said, verse 6, then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart, you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning against me. Who's in control of the situation? God. God tells them the reason you didn't do anything against this woman was because I kept you from doing it. Verse 7. Now here's something interesting. Now therefore restore this man's wife for he is a prophet. And he will, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours. The Bible calls Abraham here a prophet. Now, Islam calls Abraham a prophet, but Christians don't often refer to Abraham as a prophet. I've rarely ever heard anybody say Abraham was a prophet. But here, when he's talking about a prophecy, uh, it's according to the MacArthur Study Bible, the Bible with all the answers, usually it is used to describe not one who speaks to God on behalf of someone, but one who speaks uh, to someone on behalf of God. And that's what's going on. Um, that there's going to be this interchange and in that uh, Abraham is going to be the one who speaks to someone on the behalf of God. Uh, verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told all these things in their hearing and the men were greatly frightened. Again, when you're dealing with the Lord, there's going to be a, 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 an an aspect of reverential awe and fear. And so Abimelech had a dream, and he said, look, we have to do what God has commanded, even though he was a pagan. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us, and how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and on my kingdom this great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to have been done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you encountered that you have done this thing? He's saying, Where, what is it that you've come through? What is it that you've gone through, uh, Abraham, that's made you lie to me like this? And Abraham said, verse 11, because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place. Abraham was thinking that in this kingdom with Abimelech as the king, that they did not fear God. And so, uh, and they will kill me because of my wife. Now remember, Sarah, we're told in this chapter, chapter 12, that she was very beautiful. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it became about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So Abraham had this plan again, and God was kind of letting Abraham know. He's got this issue with not believing God. And so he'll, he sets up all of these things in his life to kind of get around God's sovereignty, but God is in control. Verse 14. Abimelech then took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, and he gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. And to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given you your brother a thousand pieces of silver, Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you and before all men uh, that you are cleared. Then 
Verse 17, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. They were barren when, when Abraham and Sarah came to this place. The women got barren. They were not able to bear children. God restores them. He uh, allows them to have children. And again, he works miracles. Verse 18, for the, for the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of, Abim of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So in, at the end of this chapter, there is, there is a setup now. Uh, we've got Abraham still expecting the promise. They run into a pagan king. The pagan king and his wife and his servants were all childless. God comes to them. God opens up their womb. And now we're going to get the birth of Isaac. Chapter 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did not, uh, excuse me, and the Lord did for Sarah ha as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time for which God had spoken to him. Now, if y'all remember, God had said, I'm going to come to you. Before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, this time next year, I'm going to come, and your wife is going to bear a son. So this is, this is that time. Abraham called the name of his son, which, is, which was born to him, and to Sarah, Isaac. Verse 4. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Verse 5. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son was born to him. Sarah said, God made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And, and she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now again, we have that issue of there's a word play here in the, uh, in the Hebrew. In verse 3, you've got Isaac at the end of the verse. And then Sarah explains what the word Isaac means in verse uh, 6. God has made laughter for me. So God... I'm naming my son laughter or to laugh because God is, has done this for me. But there's going to be an issue when we get down further in the, in the chapter. Verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now, here we go. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian woman, whom she had born to Abraham. And then we have the word mocking. Does you, everybody, does anybody, you have an ESV, don't you, Jessica? What does it have? Does it have mocking there or laughing? It has laughing. That, the word is uh, what's, what's called, oh, I forgot the word, ambivalent. And is that the word? Ambiguous. Ambiguous. Thank you. I couldn't remember the word. <laughs> Ambiguous. It can mean a few different things. It's got a few different issues with it. And so it's the same word for laughter that we see with the word Isaac. So we have this whole interplay again between you got Isaac up in verse 3, you've got the explanation of what Isaac means in verse 6, and here in verse 8, or verse 9, you've got that this child was mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, drive this maid and her son out of here, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Uh, the matter distressed Abraham greatly, because remember, Ishmael is Isaac's son. Now, even though we, we look back on it and we say it wasn't legitimate, it doesn't seem right, there's, there's issues here, Ishmael is his flesh and blood. So he's got, he's got some, some mixed feelings about this. But 
God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he took bread, a skin of water, and he gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder. And he gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about the whole wilderness of Beersheba. So she's got to go. She gets up, packs up, and she's moving through the desert. Verse 15. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went away, sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away, for she said, do not let me see the boy die. Now, I can't imagine that. You're walking through the desert. Your water runs out. You don't know where you're going to get any kind of sustenance, any kind of anything from, from anybody. You set your son under a tree. You walk maybe 100, 150 yards away, a football field, a football field and a half, and you sit down, and you're just going, Lord, you got to help me. She's crying. But what it, What's interesting, the Bible says that she's crying, but God says in verse 17, God heard the lad crying. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad to drink. So that's got to be an amazing scene. Now, you, you're, you're on the brink of death. Now, did God cause this? this spring of water just to pop up at that instant? Was it always there and she just couldn't see it? The text doesn't say. But you trust God, you believe God, and you're provided for. That's, again, that's one of the themes that runs throughout the book of Genesis. So verse 20. God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him, from the land of Egypt. Now that's a summary of what's going to happen to Ishmael. But Ishmael, his people are going to come back on, on, the, uh, on the Israelites and on the world today over and over and over and over and over because they are at war with peace. But that's a theological point for another day. Then there's a covenant with Abimelech. Verse 22 of chapter 21. Now it came about at the same time uh, that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Therefore, swear to me here uh, by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my offspring or my posterity, but according to the kindness which I have shown you. And what happens through the end of the chapter is just this talk about, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, you're going to give me this, you're going to give me that, we're going to exchange these things, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And when you get to verse 31, it says, Therefore, he called the place Beersheba because there was, the two of them took an oath. So Abraham covenanted with Abimelech. So they, went, they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham uh, planted a, a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord the everlasting God. Now, I love that again. It's the everlasting God. That's El Olam. Okay, that's God everlasting. 
uh, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. So there's a, there's a peace treaty, a covenant between Abraham and Abimelech. Abraham is able to dwell in these lands for a long, long time. But now we have the, the climactic story of what a lot of commentators think is the, the focal point of the whole book. We come to the offering of Isaac in chapter 22. Let's read the text. It says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Now God will not tempt anybody with sin. But God will test his people for obedience. Does that make sense? He does not tempt anybody with sin, but he will test your obedience. And he said, here I am. And God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer, them, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. I cannot imagine getting any news like this. You guys know Trey, my son. Sometimes I just look at him. One, I can look at my son and know there's a God because I couldn't do that. But I'm looking at my son, and I can't imagine, even if, God came, even if God came to me and I knew it was God. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that it was God. God said, offer him up, and I'm going to take care of him. I would go, can we talk about that? Because... This is my child. This is, a, this is, and if I had, didn't have any other children, and if I had waited until I was 100 years old to have this child, and God, you're going to take him? I don't get it. But let's keep reading. On the third day, now does anybody remember something else important happening on the third day in the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> on the third day is an important phrase. This is a lot of Christian... Uh, exegetes believe that this is an allusion to what God was going to do on the third day because again you've got this this offering of Abraham's only son and when it says his only son that's is 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 uh, Isaac his only son no. no Isaac's not his only son so it doesn't mean that it's his only son it means that this is his preeminent son his his, the, his son, uh, his, uh, the son that has supremacy, the one that is given first place, the one that is important, special. Um, this one is the, his son that is different from the rest of them. God did the same thing. So on this third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from the distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship. Now, here's a phrase, and return to you. Now, Abraham is either expressing great faith right there, and I think that's a sign of Abraham's faith, or Abraham's just kind of talking because he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's just saying, hey, we're going and we're going to come back. I think Abraham here, he doesn't know how God is going to bring, bring his son back to him, but he understands God's going to do it. And that, so right now, I want to walk in the footsteps of Abraham, okay? I want to be that kind of faith. I want to walk with Abraham as he's getting ready to do this. Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took, uh, took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said this, God will provide for himself 
the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walk together, and that's interesting. Somebody turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. Again, I think, I think the book of Hebrews, if you've never read the Old Testament, I would say read the book of Hebrews first, and then go back and read the Old Testament. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 says this about this incident that we just read about. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, whom, whom and who had received the promises, was, offered up, was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead, from which also he received them back as a type. So now we have, the, we have the, uh, an inspired New Testament writer's understanding of what had happened here. God is going to raise them back up. They came to the place that God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there back in Genesis 22, verse 9. And, it, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife and, uh, to slay his son. And he's like this. He's getting ready to bring this knife down. He is getting ready to end his son's life. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And that, that, that double call of Abraham, letting you know, he, I mean, he, it's like his muscles are firing to bring this thing down. And God stops it. The angel of the Lord is, I think, the Lord here. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now question, who was Abraham offering sacrifices to? God. Who was he speaking to? Literally in the text. The angel of the Lord. But he said, I know that you fear God and you have not withheld your only son from me. Who is the angel of the Lord? He's God. Why the, do you think that? Why do I think that? Because isn't that when an angel is speaking on behalf of God? An angel is a messenger of the Lord. That's what all the word exactly. uh, angel means. But here... I think because the angel is speaking in the first person, he's saying, you have, you have, not, withh you have not withheld your only son from me. I think because uh, in the New Testament, Christ is called an angel of the Lord. He's called a messenger of the Lord. So again, I think this is just a theophany or Christophany of who Christ is, of, of not who Christ is, of Christ. I think that, again, every time you see somebody speaking to uh, the Lord in the Old Testament, I believe they're talking to Jesus. Because, again, uh, John 18 says, no one has seen the Father at any time, at any time. And it also says in John, that you neither heard his voice nor seen his form. So if you're talking to God, you've got to be talking to somebody. And if you're talking to somebody, it's got to be God, but nobody's seen the Father. So it's, it's going to be one of the members of the Trinity. Did I answer your question? Yes, but I disagree. You disagree? You don't think that this is a... No, I, don't, I don't think that's Christophany. Really? I just, I just think it's a messenger. Then, uh, then uh, I'll, we'll, we're going to take this for just one quick second. 
I would love to ask you why, because there's, there's a lot of people that feel that way. But when he says, the angel of the Lord called him from, he- from heaven and said, here I am. He said, uh, don't touch him. I know that you fear God and you haven't withheld your only son from me. If he's offering the sacrifices to God, but he didn't withhold the, the sacrifice from the angel of the Lord, you don't see the connecting points there? I'm just asking. I, I see where part of it's possible, but I guess I also see if, if that's what a messenger of God is, or speaking in those terms, speaking as if it's the very words of God himself, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's going to be using the same... Same, same language. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I, we can agree to disagree. Yes, sir. Well, um, did you say message of the Lord? Messenger of the Lord. Of the Lord. Sounds like <coughs> a message from the Lord. From the Lord. And I don't see an angel saying, I'm God. Yeah. You withheld him from me. That, that, that's where I am. But, yeah. but, but our brother disagrees. And, it, and it's okay to disagree. Because, yeah. um, again, this isn't a, a, a salvation issue. But I think, I, I think it happens to be a, theo- a theophany. A Christophany, actually, to be more technical. But if you don't, you don't. It's not one where I would go to the cross saying, no, I just think those things up, but it's unclear. Um, ambiguous. <laughs> there you go. Yes, ma'am. One of them was the Lord. It can be God. You never know. And, and one, I want to say, I'm glad to see you. And uh, and and second, I, I think I think that she's on to something, because again, um, just adding to what I think, in the book of Genesis, you have God appearing in different places. He pops up and he pops away. He pops up and he pops away. So I think, to me, one of the reasons that I, I believe that this is is God, because again, it just kind of shows up and then he's gone. So let's, let's keep reading. Uh, verse 13. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered the ram as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham called the name of this place, the Lord will provide. Does anybody know what the Lord will provide in Hebrew is? Jehovah Jireh. Okay. That's, the name of this place was Jehovah Jireh. Uh, as it is said to this day, in the mount that the Lord, in the mountain, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Verse thirteen. Then the angel of the Lord, or fifteen, excuse me. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, "By myself I have sworn," declares the Lord. There's that language again, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed. As the, as the stars of the heavens and as the sands um, w- uh, which is on the seashore sh- and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies and all that's going on here you have a repeat of the blessing that God gave to Abraham as you move down through verse 20 it's just a repeating of that same blessing that God gave him um, turn to James chapter 2 verse 21 James chapter 2, verse 21. 
James chapter 2, 21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith is perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So, again, you've got a New Testament author just giving some inf inside information on what, this, what was happening here in this particular verse. But as you go down through verse 20 of, verse of chapter 22, back in Genesis now, came about after these things that it was told to Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah. And it's all of it says is just a, a, uh, a short genealogy of some people. But one of the main people that's mentioned in verse 23 is Bethel, who came, became the father of who? Rebecca. She's going to be slightly important in the story of Genesis for some reasons. Now, yes? Yes. Uh, make sure I understand your question. You want ask me to explain that what that was a symbol of? Yeah, explain what a type is and what, okay. what that was pointing to, like through all that verse. Um, a, a type is something in the Bible where you're going to see the Bible will use something um, like like a lamb. They'll say that Christ was the lamb, and and that will be a type of Christ, and that's just a a picture or a symbol expressing the reality of something in in fullness, and. Uh, in Hebrew or in James, when it was saying that, uh, were we in James or Hebrews? Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Let's turn back to there. Let's turn back there to look at it. Yeah, you, I mean, you've got a lot of stuff that's gonna that's gonna play into this. It says so in verse verse 19. He considered God able to raise people from the dead. Um, from which he also received him back as a type. So again, consulting my handy-dandy MacArthur Study Bible, the Bible with all the answers, it says, the word is the same as in 9-9, uh, nine, nine, which is the basis for the English word parable. Abraham received Isaac back from the dead, as it were, even though Isaac had not been slain, which is completely unhelpful. Okay, <laughs> That's not helpful at all. It's just, it's a type. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. I never had to, I, I didn't think about explaining this at all. So it's kind of. Like a foreshadow. It's a picture. It's just, it's just saying this is something that happened in the Old Testament that you're going to see the actual fulfillment of in the New Testament. Is that good which enough verse, for people? Is it, which verse is it where it says? It's 19. Different? 19. 11, 19. Uh, the ESV doesn't even use the word. Type? type. Really? So that's, I guess, what I'm looking for. Wow. It says he considered God was able to even to raise him from the dead. It's saying figuratively using that as type. Hmm, interesting. Yes, Jason. I, I mean, I'm going back to Genesis 3 where God requires something and then he supplies the very requirement right. to which man can't. Go back to Genesis 3. He, he provides a covering for Adam and Eve. Here he requires a sacrifice. Uh, he can't fulfill that. Abraham through his son. So right. God provides a sacrifice. Right. You look, go back to crisis if we're going to use the type. Christ being the ultimate sacrifice. In in um and he provides himself. In in First Peter it says that 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 the 
the flood was a type of salvation, basically. And it's saying that we're saved through baptism, and this is a type. And again, it's, it's just saying that it's not the flood waters or anything like that. It's just the whole picture of Christ's death that, are a, that were typified by the flood. Everybody dies, blah, 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 blah. And I think the best way to explain it was a combination of all these things that were said here. It's just something that happens in the Old Testament that we're going to see fulfilled in reality, in actuality, in the New Testament. There's going to be a concrete fulfillment of this picture, this type, this shadow from the Old Testament or even the New Testament that is going to be crystallized in Christ. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes, sir. Uh, speaking of the book of Hebrews, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's the sermon, right? Yeah. To the Hebrew people. It's a great sermon. So basically saying, look, look at the Old Testament, your Bible. This is what is happening now. Yes. Or it has happened already. Yeah. And I, this, is, this is where you can refer to. I, I, think, I think that's why I said if you want to understand the Old Testament, you go back. You know, read Hebrews, get a good understanding of Hebrews. Then when you go back to the Old Testament, you're going to see, oh, that, oh, okay, hey, that, wait, oh, that, and that. You're going to see all of these allusions from Hebrews back into the Old Testament. You're going, oh, so that's where he got that from. Oh, this is fulfilled. Oh, okay, that's what this means. And it's, it's to me, it was wonderful when I did that. Um, I, I, I'd never, like I said, I barely ever read the Old Testament. I read Hebrews, and I started reading through the Old Testament, and I was like, wow. You know, so... If you, again, if you've never read the Old Testament, never read it seriously, I would say read Hebrews, then go back and read the Old Testament. Um, because of time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a summary of chapter 23. Sarah dies. Chapter 24, okay? <laughs> but uh, seriously, in, in chapter 23, basically you have Sarah dying, and that's basically you've got, um, they, they, he barters for her land, he gets the land, He's given a plot, he buries her there, and then he moves on. There's not a lot of, uh, not a lot Christological or um, theological that happens in, in 23, except for the fact that God, again, is moving his plan forward. I want to get to 24, uh, chapter 24. Now, so this is now, boom, now. Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who was in charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife from any of my daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. Basically, Abraham said this. uh, I don't want a daughter for my son from these people. I don't want a wife for my son from these people. They are wicked. they They are crass. It's not, it cannot happen. But you will go, verse 4, but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant said to him, suppose this woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where he came? Then Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. No, don't do it. The Lord, the, Lord, the, God, of our, of the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, and from, who, and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me, and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you. He will send his messenger before you. And you will take a wife for my son from there. But, the, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from my oath. Only do not take this, or do not take my son back there. So the servant 
placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. Now, I brought my anatomically correct doll here. You guys, this is Woody, yeah. And because that phrase, when he said he placed his hand under his thigh, it was bothering me. It was bothering me because I didn't understand it. So I went back and I read up a whole bunch of on it. And it's saying basically that he put his hand here. The thigh was considered from the hip down to the knee, this whole region. He put his hand here. Now, we can see that that's close to something important, okay? But what it's saying, it's an oath saying, hey, look, Abraham, I understand. This is important. And I'm, I'm, he is calling down a curse on himself if he does not fulfill this. Your, you can kill me. Your kids can kill me. Your kids' kids can kill me. Whoever needs to kill me if I don't get this done. So it's important. And this, this, this servant knew it. So when it, when it, we also, there's another instance where the thigh is used. Anybody remember the other instance where the thigh is used? There you go, when he wrestles with, when he wrestles with uh, the angel. So then, uh, verse 10. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out on a variety of good things from his master, set, uh, set out with a variety of good things of his master's uh, in his hand. And he arose and went to, to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Somebody turn to Genesis 47, 29. 47, 29. Genesis 47, 29 says, When the time came for Israel to die, uh, drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and in faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but when I, die, when I, lie, when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. So again, that's just, that's just a, 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 a quick scripture to let you know that when you would do that, when you place your hand in, in a, you know, under a man's thigh, it was serious. These were serious issues that were, that were going on here. And so, uh, and he made the, where we got? There we go. So the servant placed his hand on his thigh. In verse 11, he made the camels kneel down. So he, he gets these camels and a variety of good things. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia. Verse 11, he made the camels kneel down outside the city, of the city by the well of water at evening time the time when the women go out to draw water. So he, he brings these camels out. They're sitting there. They're waiting. And now he has a plan. And so this servant begins to talk to the Lord. And he says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. And all he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to stand here. And the woman that comes out that gives me to drink and gives to the camels to drink, I want her to be the person. And he says, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca. So he's, can you imagine you're sitting here saying, you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, you're praying. And before, it's like when you open your eyes, there it is. What you've been praying for. Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her 
and said, please, let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar uh, to her hand and gave him to drink. Now when he had finished giving him a drink, she said, uh, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her. He was staring at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. Now, I emailed Pastor Emilio because a lot of, uh, a lot of Christians will use chapter 24 as like, this is how you find a wife, you know. And I found, and I, and I was like, I, I emailed him and I was like, I, I, don't, I don't see principles finding a wife here. Because basically the principle is, if you're going to do it the biblical way, that's one sign for your parents to pick your wife. I did not want my mom and dad picking my wife. And I don't think anybody here wanted your mom. Did anybody here's mom and dad pick their wife? I'm just curious. Nobody? Okay. I don't think anybody wants your parents to pick your wife. But I will say your parents do know best. You need to run it through them, not independent of them. But, and he, he Pastor Emilio emailed me back, and he, was, he agreed with me. So I was like, thank you. Because I just don't see, I don't see people getting, I don't see how they get that. So, you, you <laughs> we're not meshing today. How do you see that? How do you see that? But but how does that translate to today? I don't know. That's not, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm not saying it translates to, but I see that as being clear. So I'm just saying that I don't know if that's because culture decided they didn't want to do that anymore or what. At some point, it turned the page. But I, I see that as being fairly clear in the Old Testament. I mean, I've talked to people about that a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's clear in the Old Testament. In yes. Light of, in light of, I mean, it, it turns the page a little bit off topic, but at the same time, it's relevant. What does the Bible say about David? doesn't say much. I agree. Does it say it does say this? So actually the most biblical principle we have is this. But this would be again people under God's uh, theocratic rule if you want to say that and again as Christians Christ has fulfilled the whole law for us so I think there's freedom in how you pick and choose I don't I don't see any I don't see any biblical mandate for mom and dad. Children. I don't see it as a mandate at all. Okay. All I'm saying is that uh, when people talk about what does the Bible say about David, and I'm, I'm newly married in the last couple of months, so I've given this a lot of thought. <laughs> yes. What does the Bible actually say about it? It doesn't say much. It doesn't it say much. I agree. Certain principles, but that is what it is. You, you, you can pull some principles out of this, but I, what I, I think the point that I was making is that I think people will take this and go too far with it? Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't say okay. that, it's a, that it's a mandate. Didn't we, didn't we agree? Did you have a question, Jason? No, I mean, I just see it as something, I mean, certainly it's descriptive. Yes. But even if, but it's not prescriptive. prescriptive. Even within the 100, 613 laws. Right. I, I, I agree. So I don't mean, but in today's analogy, someone may say, hey, I set my daughter up with so-and-so. So, and no one throws a fit. Right. <laughs> but but I, I would be really leery if somebody said, hey, we got married because my parents set us up and a man came, my, my dad's best friend came and he was waiting outside with a car and I got in the car and I said, hey, let me get you a Pepsi and some gas in the car. I Boy, I would, be, I would be, I would be, I would be really, that would kind of weird me out. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Did that? <laughs> right. Right. They met, 
Right. And we're still married. Praise God. Praise God. Right. Yeah, I, I, I and please so understand. That is that is that is funny. <laughs> I thought I brought it all. <laughs> what I'm what I'm not saying is that God cannot use parents in the pro, in the helping of the process to pick your mate. All I'm saying is that there's been uh, uh, many Christian teachers who have taught that this uh, Genesis chapter 24 is like a paradigm on how you pick a mate for your son or your daughter. Yeah. With that, I wholeheartedly disagree. Are you still reading those people? No. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there's a whole bunch on my shelf that I just got to kind of oh, okay. chuck out. So um, verse 22. Uh, when the camels came and finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a sh- Now, what was weird is I, I looked that up in the, in the Hebrew. And it's actually a ring for her nose. And, and, and not a lot of translations bring that out. But I'm like, it's a nostril ring. I'm like, Serving like eh. <laughs> I'm like, eh. Uh, weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist, weighing ten shekels in gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, uh, whom she bore to Nahor. Again she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way uh, to the house of my master's brothers. And through the end of the chapter, it's just um, the servant repeating. He goes to the house and he's just repeating all that had happened in the previous in the previous verses. Um, when you get to uh, Verse 49, so now, if you are going to deal kindly and truly with your master, tell me, and if not, let me know that I might turn to the right or to the left. I've got business to do. Let me know what you're going to do. Give me your decision so I, can, I may turn to the right or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, the matter comes uh, from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. Now they recognized that this was, this was something that God had done. When Abraham's servant had heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. Basically he outfitted Rebekah with, her, with, uh, with all of this stuff. And in verse 59... Thus they sent away her, uh, their sister Rebecca and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. Verse 60. They blessed Rebecca and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebecca arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels, and they followed the man. So the servant of Rebecca departed. So you've got her brothers and sisters, they're gonna, they just kind of give her a blessing. Um, may you, our sister, become thousands of 10,000. They're saying, may your prosperity, may, may you have many, many children. And may your descendants possess the gates of those, uh, possess the gates of those who hate them. May you overtake those people that are, that are, just, that just, are just not liking you. And so you get to verse 62, and then we're going to close. 
Isaac marries Rebecca. Now, Re Isaac had come from going, this is kind of funny to me. Isaac had come from going to uh, Bar Laha Roy, uh, Ro Roi, uh, for he was living in the, in, Nagad, in the Nagav. Isaac went out to meditate, now that's a good thing, in the field towards evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, camels were coming. Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted. Can't, I kind of see this as kind of like one of those movies that are in the field, you know? And it's like, -na 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 -na. you know, the music comes up, and he sees her, and she sees him. But she does something funny. She said to, her, to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, he is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. She put her headdress on. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother's, mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I think that, I think it is a beautiful chapter, and I think the end of it is, is truly amazing that, you know, you kind of see him, and that's it. Boom. Instant love. And, uh, but that, that's going to be, we're going to have to end today. Are there any questions, any comments, any statements, any observations? Yes, sir. I see a beautiful picture of trusting the Lord even in that. Yes. Uh, he didn't go out and just be, be infatuated with a girl or, or lust or whatever. Yes. And, and try to marry her. And, and again, you got to understand, if he had married a Canaanite, what would have happened to the promise? If he had married a, an Ammonite, anybody, any Ite, what would have happened to the promise? And so... I think, again, it is a matter of, of trust. He said, hey, you know, whatever, my, my father sets it up, I'm going to follow it and do it. And he did it, and he gets a beautiful wife. The Bible says she was very beautiful. Praise God, you know. I, I got me one like that, so, you know, and I know all of you guys do too, And because I, I love my wife, and she's, I think she's, by the way, she's homesick today. Um, so you can pray for her. Um, uh, you, I know that you guys can, can sympathize with finding, finding that, that person that you meet that's just right for you. So, I praise God. So let's pray. Yes, Jason. <laughs> you know, in the other chapter, going back to this, you know, I forgot what it was. You know, he who finds a good wife finds a good, good thing. Yeah. Well, I would If it was already set up through my parents, I wouldn't have found her. <laughs> <laughs> True. But they found her. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's pray, y'all. Father, we thank you, Lord, for our time today. Lord, I just ask that you would um, take the lessons that we're learning in Genesis. Lord, as we're looking at the life of Abraham, most uh, definitely these last few lessons, Lord, just teach us to be faithful. Lord, teach us to be people of great faith. Let us walk in the footsteps of Abraham and exhibit the same kind of faith that he had. Where we don't doubt, we don't have any, um, any wavering. Lord, we just trust you, we trust your word, and we move on that. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. We give you uh, all the praise, honor, and glory. Lord, we look forward to worshiping, and we look forward to our fellowship meal afterwards. Uh, we ask all of these things in Christ's name.